Well, basic training is the current message series that we are in. And when we talk about basic training, we need to ask ourselves the question, what are we training for? Well, we're training as soldiers in the army of the Lord. We don't fight with bullets. We don't fight with bombs. We fight. We fight with spiritual weapons as soldiers in the Lord's army. And what are we fighting for? We're fighting to expand the kingdom of God. So we report to the king the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And his kingdom is expanding across this earth and we fight for that kingdom. We fight to expand the kingdom of God and to destroy the kingdom of darkness. Things are quite simple in the Bible. There's only two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. And we are on the side as believers of the kingdom of light. Now how does the kingdom of God expand and the kingdom of darkness uh, be destroyed? How does that happen? Well, it happens as your friends, as your relatives, as your neighbors, as your workmates get saved, and they are transferred, the Bible tells us, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so they become then soldiers in God's kingdom. And as we fight in God's army, He takes care of His soldiers. He gives us everything that we need. Matthew 6.33, I'd encourage you to take out the white sheet in the middle of your bulletin. It has the verses written out. Ian has an outline that you can take notes in as well. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first His kingdom, that is God's kingdom, and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so when we seek to expand God's kingdom, when we seek that first, when we're seeking to be the best soldier that we can be in God's army, then God will meet every need that you have in life. Now that's a pretty good promise, isn't it? If you have a need, God's going to take care of it. Well, today we're going to be talking about investing your life. Now, a soldier invests everything that he has in order to be the best soldier that he can be. When a soldier goes to basic training, he leaves behind all of his civilian things. For the most part, he's given a uniform, he's given boats, uh, he's given a weapon, an instruction manual, a lot of training. And uh, I'm not sure, but I think he gets a haircut too. Is that right? I, some of you that have been through it. And as he learns how to become a soldier, he's given more responsibility as his training increases. He might, as his training increases, be able to operate a larger weapon system, or he might be given a company of men to uh, oversee. And so this soldier has to use the resources that he's been entrusted with to fulfill his mission that his commanding officer has given to him. The safety of the other officers in his unit, as well as the well-being of the country that he represents, are at stake. They depend on it. Now, a soldier in God's army is much the same. And if you're a believer here today, you are a soldier in God's army. A believer in God's army must obey their commanding officer. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He's the one that we, we report to. And we must not get entangled in civilian affairs because that would jeopardize the mission. And we must use all the resources that God has entrusted to us, not for ourselves, but to carry out God's mission, the mission of the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 2 says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. 
And so as we read these scriptures about being a soldier in God's army, we understand that it's not easy to be a soldier. There's hardship to endure. There are things that, as a soldier, you can no longer be involved in civilian affairs. But we must follow the orders of our commanding officer. And today we're going to be talking about putting to work everything that God has entrusted to us. Putting it to work into support of God's kingdom to carry out God's mission. We're going to be looking at a parable that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 25. Now, immediately before Matthew chapter 24, Jesus taught on the signs of the end of the age, taught about when he's coming back again. And so the parables in chapter 25 give us more insight into the end of the age, into how we should live in this time to be prepared for the coming of Christ. Matthew 25 verse 1 says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like. And at that time refers to the time of the end of the age, the time when Jesus Christ returns. And so that's what our parable that we're going to be looking at today is going to relate to. The first thing that we can learn from Jesus' parable is that God has entrusted resources to us. Our story begins in verse 14. Jesus says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. And so the man going on a journey in this story is the master of the house. He has servants that report to him. The master represents Jesus Christ. And this master entrusts his property or some of his resources to his servant. To his servants, plural. Now, the master did not give his property to his servants. It was not theirs. He entrusted it to them. And the servants were to use the resources that the master entrusted to them for the master's purposes. And as we'll see, they eventually had to give an account to the master for how they had used his property. What is the property that God has entrusted to us? What are the resources that God has entrusted to you and me? Well, it's everything that you have in life. Your resources are your time. Every minute, every hour, every day that God has given to you is a, a resource. It's, it's a gift to be used for Him. God has entrusted to us our finances. He's entrusted to us various opportunities. He's entrusted to us our families, our jobs, and the list could go on and on. And so as we begin this message today, it's very important to realize that all the things we speak of is ours. We speak of a lot of things of ours, don't we? It's my job. This is my house. This is my car. This is my family. They're really not yours. They're God's. And He's entrusted them to you to use as a steward. To be a good steward, God calls us with everything that He's entrusted to us. Now the resources that God has entrusted to you, He's matched the resources that you have with your abilities. Verse 15, Jesus tells us, To one, to one servant, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. A talent was an amount of silver. It was worth 6,000 denarii. Now, a denarii was a day's wages. So that's 
6,000 days wages. And if I do the calcula calculations at five days a week, that's about 24 years of salary. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. So one talent, 24 years salary. Why were the three servants given different amounts of money? One was given five talents, one, two, and one, one. Well, the scripture tells us because they've been created with different abilities. Some were capable of greater responsibility than others. They had a greater capacity to deal with these resources. That was simply the way that God created them. In the same way for us today, God has matched the resources he's entrusted to you with your abilities. So often we complain, don't we? Look at that guy. He's got all this stuff and here's poor little me. Well, as servants of the master, God has matched the resources he's entrusted to us with our abilities. He didn't give you more than you could handle. And he's not going to give you too little that you can't accomplish God's purpose and mission for your life. He gives you just the right amount. And what are you to do with the resources that God has entrusted to you? What are we to do? We're to put those resources to work for God. Verse 16, the man who'd received the five talents at once went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the, one, but the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And so we see three servants and two ways of handling the resources that they were entrusted. The first two servants, the one with five talents, the one with two, took their resources and put their money to work. In other words, they invested their resources to work for the master that would bring return to their master. And they were able to double what they had been given. On the other hand, the third servant was a different story. He'd received the least amount of money, and yet it was a considerable amount. One talent, 24 years pay. How would you like to receive a check for 24 years pay? That would be a big check, wouldn't it? But rather than putting his resources to work, he simply hid it for safekeeping. Now actually, back then, that was a way to keep things. Now, they didn't have banks quite like, well, they did have banks, but that was a way that private people sometimes, they just dug a hole and put it in there in their backyard or wherever, and nobody would know it was there. And that was one way to keep your money safe. It was safer than keeping it in your house, because thieves break in and they can find it in your house, but if you put it in a hole in the ground, probably not going to find it. But this third servant wasn't going to take any risks. Perhaps he thought, you know, if I invest this money or put it to here or there, I might lose it, so I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm simply going to keep it for myself and make sure it doesn't go anywhere. And as we're going to see, that was a very, very wrong choice. And so the most important lesson that we can learn this morning is that what you have is not really yours, none of it. Everything that you have, including your life itself, has been entrusted to you by God. Your time is not your own to do as you please. Your money is not your own. Your house is not really your own. Your car is not your own. Your family is not your own. Your job is not your own. Now, sometimes uh, people say, with respect to finances, 
You know, if I, all we have to do is give God 10%, and that's all he requires. What does that imply? It implies that 90% is mine, and I can do with it as I please. Well, that's not the case. All of our money is his. And of course, we need money to take care of the resources that God has entrusted to us. We need money to take care of our families. We need money to take care of our houses and the other things. And so, no, we don't give 100% of our money to the church. I mean, you would be destitute, and then who would have to help you? Somebody else. But we have to recognize that even though God instructs us to give 10% to support his kingdom directly, the other 90% we are to administer, we are to steward, to use for his purposes. To ask how he wants us to use that money. And once we truly recognize that all we have is really not ours, it's God's, we need to seek his guidance at how he wants us to utilize his resources. What work does he command us to do? How can we multiply to make a profit for our master? Now that answer is going to be different for each one of us, but yet the master's commands can be found for us in God's word and as we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, not only has God entrusted to us everything that we have, but we must give an account for our entrusted resources. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And so the master went away on a long journey, but he always intended to return. And one day at the proper time, he returned. And when he returned, he had each servant report to him what they had done with the resources that he had entrusted to them. And actually, they did more than report. They actually showed the master what they had accomplished with the talents, with the finances or money that he had given to them or entrusted to them. Now, this part of the parable, of course, refers to the return of Christ. He's gone away, he's gone to heaven, and at one day he's going to return and when he returns, there's going to be a day of judgment. And on that day, every person the Bible teaches, including believers, must give an account to the Lord for what they've done with the resources that he's entrusted to them, what they've done with their lives. In your faithfulness, our faithfulness in this life will determine our eternity. Verse 20, the man who'd received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said. You entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The servant with the five talents had put it to work. He doubled what he had. He went from five to ten. And he showed the ten talents to the master. And the master was pleased. He said, well done. You've been a faithful servant. You've been faithful in this life with the resources I've entrusted to you. You've not just used them for yourselves. You used them for the mission that I've given you. You've doubled them for me, your master. Now notice that the things of this life were considered few things. These ten talents, which was 240 years salary for somebody was considered little. It was considered a few things. This man was faithful with a few things. And the master said, I will put you in charge of many things. 
Where's he going to be in charge of many things? In heaven in eternity. Doesn't sound like floating on a cloud strumming a harp, does it? So a lot of ideas we have about heaven are completely unbiblical. It's going to be far more wonderful and exciting than you can imagine. The Bible tells us you cannot imagine or dream up how wonderful heaven is going to be. It's not going to be a boring place. And the things that we do in this life are going to impact how we spend eternity. If we're faithful with a few things, God is going to put us in charge of many things and share in the Master's joy. You see, this life, oftentimes we think this life is the big thing and then heaven is kind of the side. You know, when we're done with this life and then, yeah, just heaven. Well, this life, this life on earth is simply the dress rehearsal for eternity. Eternity is the main show that goes on forever. But our eternity is determined by what we do in this brief period of time. 70, 80, 90 years here on this earth. And that prepares us for eternity. And so we need to be faithful and we'll be given more. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And what's the difference between what the master told the first servant who had ten altogether at the end and this servant who had four? There's no difference. It's exactly the same. He praised them exactly the same. He put his two talents to work and he profited two more. And so the master was pleased by him and that servant also would be given more responsibility in eternity. Each servant must give an account, including you and me, for the resources that God has entrusted to us. Now, when we look around us, we see that not everyone has the same amount of resources. Do you agree? There's a wide disparity in the amount of resources. Is there something wrong with that? Should everybody have exactly the same? Some politicians may think so. Some forms of government may think so, but what does God's Word say? He says, well, God has given the right amount of resources based on people's abilities, based on people's capacities. And so we shouldn't complain if we feel like we don't have enough. Each of us will have to give an account on Judgment Day with what God has, for what God has entrusted to us. And God isn't interested in the total amount. Ten versus four talents. He's looking to see if we put to work for his kingdom the resources that he's entrusted to us. Now, how can we put to work and double the resources God has entrusted to us? Well, that answer may vary for each one of us. It may vary with the resource we're talking about. God has entrusted to us finances. Well, let's put it to work as an investment for the kingdom. Besides the 10% that we release control of and give to the church and missions, what about the 90%? How can you invest that for the kingdom? To increase the profit for your master. How can you double your resource of time? I thought about that for a while. 
How can I double my time? And I don't think I can do it in and of myself, but I believe I can double my time when I'm instrumental in a person becoming a new believer. I'm instrumental in somebody becoming a committed disciple of Jesus Christ and using their time for the Master because of my faithfulness with the time that God has given me. In such a way I can double, I can triple my time by investing my time to teach others to invest their time. Any way that you use what what God has given you at His direction for His kingdom is putting it to work. is profiting the Master. And it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to invest in the kingdom of God, believing that God's going to do wonderful things through our investment and give us a return both in this life and the life to come. On the other hand, rather than if we don't have faith, unbelief and fear can lead to misusing God's resources. So remember, the master had returned from his journey. The servants were reporting one by one. The ten-talent man had reported, or the one that initially received five. The uh, two-talent man had reported, and now it was the turn for the one-talent man to report. Then the man who had received the one talent, verse 24, came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now this third servant was not like the first two. It doesn't tell us. Maybe he was annoyed he only received one. I don't know. We know he did not have a good opinion of the master. I mean, he's actually accusing the master of stealing from others. Harvest where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. It seems like this servant did not like the idea of giving his profits back to the master. I think that's what he was getting at. Look, the guy with the five talents worked for you, gained five more, and then he gave everything to you. I don't like that. And so rather than put his resources to work and give some back to the master, he was afraid of what the master might do to him. Of what might happen if he perhaps took a risk with his investment and lost some of the money. It says he hid the talent. He didn't put it to work. He kept it for himself. He let those resources lie dormant with respect to the master's kingdom with respect to the master's household. And so this servant was afraid. He didn't want to work hard to increase the resources that had been entrusted to him, and he grudgingly gave it back to the master at his return. God requires a profit on the resources that he entrusts to us. Now we'll see that the master's response to the third servant was quite different than his response to the first two. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. He knew he was in trouble from that point on. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. 
What did he call? What did the master call the other two servants? Good and faithful. This one is wicked and lazy. He said, at the very least, instead of digging this hole and sticking it in the ground, you should have put it in the bank and earned some interest from me. Now, that wouldn't have been a whole lot, but you did nothing with the resources that have entrusted to you for my benefit as your master. And so this third servant was about to learn a lesson that would alter his eternal destiny. If you, we mustn't keep God's resources for ourselves or we will lose everything. Verse 28, the master continues to speak to the third servant. He says, take the talent or take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so the master commanded this Third servant who only one talent, who had done nothing with it, take that talent away from him, give it to the guy with ten talents, the first servant. The third servant had spent his entire life living for himself. He'd done absolutely nothing to benefit the master. And so those unused resources were taken from him, given to the servant who had doubled his resources. The third servant was considered, this is the third adjective we have. First, he was wicked, lazy, didn't want to work hard for the master, and finally, he's worthless. The master considered him worthless. He'd, done, he'd had every opportunity to do something with his life, and he'd done nothing. He was worth nothing to the master. And so rather than enjoying the master's presence for eternity, he would be thrown out into darkness. Darkness is a place outside of God's presence. It's described here as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is describing hell itself. And so the servant had failed his master. He had every opportunity. He'd failed and he was going to experience the consequences forever and ever. Now, obviously, God is teaching us, or Jesus is teaching us here, be like the first two servants and not like the third. I mean, that's what we're supposed to take from this. What was the essential difference between the two kinds of servants? The first two servants, what did they do? They lived their lives with the resources they had been entrusted with to benefit their master. They lived for the master. They believed in the master. I believe they loved the master. And they used everything that had been trusted to them for his benefit, for his profit. The last servant lived in fear of the master. He didn't like the master. He didn't think the master liked him. He did nothing to benefit the master. He didn't believe in him. He didn't trust him. Now, did the last servant expect to be thrown into outer darkness into hell itself. Well, the account doesn't tell us, but from other accounts, people are always shocked. They're surprised when they stand before judgment and they're sent to the other place. They're sent to hell. They're always shocked. Of course, the same has been true throughout 
history. You know, the percentage of people in the United States that think they're going to heaven is in the high 90%. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. It's only the worst of the worst. Mass murderers and those kind of people that deserve hell. And so many people are shocked, will be shocked, just as this last servant. And so what does God expect of us here today? Well, first, to be a servant of the Master, we need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It means accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Some people think, I can accept Jesus as Savior, go to heaven, have my sins forgiven, and live life the way I want. Not possible according to the Bible. We accept Him as Savior and Lord, or He's not Savior at all. And to be Lord of our lives is to acknowledge that everything we have is His, not yours. To acknowledge Jesus as Lord of our lives means that when He commands us to do something in His Word, we say, yes, yes, sir. I'm going to do it. And we follow His direction. We follow His command. As a believer, we study God's Word and we ask Him, God, this bank account is your bank account. How do you want me to use it? God, this house is your house. How do you want me to use it for you? God, this vehicle is your vehicle. How do you want me to use it for you? God, this day today, is your day that you've entrusted to me. How do you want me to spend my time today? It's your time that you've entrusted. How can I use it for you? And when God tells you what to do, simply do it. It's as simple as that. Saying, no, God, I, I think I have other plans today. I, uh, maybe tomorrow. No, that's not the right answer. It's yes, Lord. I will do what you want me to do with every minute, every dollar, every possession. It's all His. And if you do that, when your life on this earth is over, as one day all of our lives will be, when we stand before the Lord, as one day we all will, we will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. And we all want to hear those words. So today, if you're not sure that you're a believer, perhaps you've prayed some prayer and you've thought you accepted Jesus as your Savior, but you've kind of been living life the way you wanted, not at His direction, not at His command. I'd encourage you to pray with me again. And give your life to Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Because if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then He's not Lord at all. You can't have Jesus simply as Savior and not Lord. So we're going to pray a simple prayer. The prayer involves admitting that you've sinned. And sin is simply not obeying the Master. Sin is doing things, living life your own way. Second, believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you. You rose from the dead asking for his forgiveness. And then finally, committing your life to following Jesus as your Lord. So let's bow our heads right now. And if you'd like to commit or recommit your life to Jesus Christ, 
I encourage you to pray along with me in your mind. Say, Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've treated my life and my resources as my own to do with as I pleased. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, three days later rose from the dead that my sins might be forgiven. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord and doing everything you tell me to do. For those of us who are believers today, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for teaching us this morning through this parable of Jesus. Taught thousands of years ago and yet applicable to our lives today. May we learn the lessons that Jesus taught and put them into practice in every aspect of our lives. Forgive us for thinking that the resources that you've entrusted to us were our own to do with as we please. Today we acknowledge that everything that we have is yours. Help us to put all the resources that you've entrusted to us to work for your kingdom. Thank you, God, that as we're faithful with your resources, you will give us more. You'll entrust more to us, both in this life and in eternity. Show us how to overcome unbelief and fear that would have us keep resources for ourselves and not put them to work and use them for the benefit of the kingdom. Lord, we want to give a return to you on everything that you've entrusted to us. We want to hear you say, one day, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.